Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Season's greetings, my friends. This is episode 46 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. That's right, this is the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their published books, meaning you can go right out and pick this book up after you hear about it. You can find this show on on all podcast venues, uh, but uh, I guess the number one place for you to find us would be on iTunes. That is the place with the most traffic. Uh, so if you subscribe to us, you won't miss out each week whenever we come back with another author, another book, and another sample chapter. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, and don't forget to tell a friend. That is how we spread the word and get these authors uh, that come on every week get a little more attention to them because they all deserve it. They've all done a lot of hard work and I really appreciate that they're taking the time to come on here and talk with me. I would love, just absolutely love to gain some audience and spread the word about each one of them. You can also find us online through social media on Facebook and Twitter. That is just the Sample Chapter Podcast on either one of those. If you want to reach out to us, you can use either one of those methods, or you can email us at samplechapterpodcast@gmail.com. So if you're an author yourself, uh, if you have an author you'd like to hear about, any of those things, just go ahead and reach out to me. Let me know who you are or who the author is you'd like me to interview, and I will, I will definitely follow up with them and see what we can get done, and it would be great. Today's guest, actually, it uh, worked out just like that. I had just recently heard uh, today's guest, which is Ernest Solar. I had had just listened to him on the Emmett Blackwell show, uh, which Emmett was kind enough to have me on the week, on there uh, a few weeks ago, well, about a month ago now, I guess. Uh, but Emmett has a fantastic show. He brings on authors, entertainers, and uh, I just heard the episode with Ernest when I think it was like within a day later, Ernest reached out to me. So that was really cool. For now, though, we'll we'll keep going with a little bit of news and stuff. You might hear that I'm not as up as usual right now. I'm I'm actually cold. <laughs> it is really cold, and it's really really early. It is 5:31 in the morning. I am up for you, my my wonderful listeners, because well because I love you guys. I appreciate that you come back every week, and it makes it worth it to get up this early. But it is currently 61.4 degrees in my garage office, and uh, I'm realizing that my slippers and robe aren't quite cutting it. <laughs> I'm also realizing that renovations I did to my office this summer, uh, I forgot to take into account that yeah, I might need my space heater back in here. <laughs> I got things set up so that my fan would blow in a direction that I would feel the fan and it would feel comfortable, uh, but it would also filter the, uh, you know, circulate my smoke from my cigars around to the window. And in doing so, the way I set everything up, I've got uh, power cords now running everywhere, and I've, I've accidentally used up all my my outlets so I don't have a place to plug in my my heater anymore uh, so I'm gonna have to rethink this a little bit and of course I don't always get up at 5 30 in the morning to get this recorded but 
like I said, I do this for you all. You guys mean a lot to me, and uh, I'm really enjoying this show, you know, doing this show for you each week, so it's worth it. But fortunately, I've got my coffee. You know the uh, the irony of getting up really, really early, and some of the stories you're going to hear today from Ernest, uh, that irony has not escaped me. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to understand what I'm talking about once we get into the interview. Oh, yes. Wonderful hot coffee. Um, anyway, I did get to go somewhere really cool this past weekend. I took my wife out. Uh, she just finished what is the absolute toughest semester of school so far uh, for med school students. They all have this you know, one semester that's just a real bear. You know, five classes, uh, two clients, and uh, papers galore. You know, she's got it right. And it's just been a nightmare situation for her trying to get through this. But she made it through. Uh, grades are all coming in. And she's done another fantastic semester. I'm really, really proud of her. So, anyway, so I'm telling you that to tell you that. So, uh, I took her out for the weekend. Went off to up to Kansas City and just had a wonderful time. Getting away from it all, getting away from the house, getting away from distractions, and uh, it was really great. And uh, while we were up there, we made sure to swing by Half Price Books. It was my first time going in there. I'd heard friends talk about the store several times. You know, normally I go into some of the big names. We'll go in there and look around. <clears throat> but I gotta tell you, Half Price Books was awesome. That was that was so cool walking around, checking out the. Uh, you know all the old paperbacks and oh my gosh it was it was fantastic i'm i'm definitely going back i, I was a little bit disappointed because i only found one book by robert mccammon in there uh but it turned out it was one of them that i, I was looking for though so it was gone south is uh, one of his books that i found it's a classic paperback cover so it's not one of the uh, the updated ones so that that was pretty excited and it was only three dollars oh my gosh i'm i was really thrilled but yeah, half price books. That's that's an awesome place. I'm like I said, I'm gonna be going back. Uh, I recommend that you look it up, check it out online, see if you can find it. If there's one in your area, if not, you know, just find out who's your local bookstore. Are they do they sell independents? Contact them and say, hey, do you have a section for indie books? Uh, I know half price books. They do carry indie books, uh, but they don't separate them. Uh, for indies you know they get whatever the book is whatever the genre that's where they go so i talked to the uh, talked to the manager there for a while and, and uh, that was really cool to hear that yeah they're they're in there he said he could probably look it up and see you know what ones they are but he said yeah if you're looking for a certain book or a certain person then just go through the aisles by by author uh, and by genre so so that was cool i was really happy to hear that and uh, I know my local bookstore here in uh, in Warrensburg, they do have a local author section, and I do have some books there. So that's that's a really cool thing. It's a fantastic way to support not only the local bookstores, but also your local authors who, you know, they've put in just as much work as a traditional author. And I don't want to put any of them down because we've had both traditional and indie authors on this show. And, you know, they all work really, really hard. They're all just trying to tell the best story that they can. And, you know, God bless them for the work that they do. Um, I, I, and I know, I understand. I've been there too. So, you know, it's a, such a cool feeling because you can find my books and you can find, you know, Robert McCammon. You can find Stephen King. You can find W.L. Ripley. 
you know, you go through there and you find all these fantastic books. You never know what you're going to do. Just go browse sometime at your local bookstore. Show them some support. And then if you find something cool, make sure to put that out there on social media. Let people know, hey, I went to Reader's World. I went to Half Price Books. Look what I found. This is awesome. It helps everybody. It helps the store. It helps the author. It's just a good way to uh, get a little more notice for those. And, you know, it's like we talked about last week uh, with the, uh, the the fairy project. Christmas is coming. It's time to uh, pick up some books for some friends. So, tis the season, my friends. Spread the cheer and uh, get a book for a friend. Uh, coffee. Oh, I love it. <clears throat> well, this is that part of the show where we're going to do our sponsor spot. Because I owe a great big thank you, as always, to You Store All out of Warrensburg, Missouri. You Store All is the, the absolute best place if you are looking to store your household goods, if you are moving, if you just bought a new house, or if you're building a house, which is something that uh, I know happens a lot. You're building a house, and your old house sold really quick. Oh my gosh, now what are you going to do? i got to get everything put into storage. No problem. Get a hold of You Store All out of Warrensburg, Missouri, and let them know your situation. They know how to sort out what your needs are for sizing so that way you're not getting a, a unit too big uh definitely not too small because that's a problem <laughs> if you get one too small and you still got stuff laying around your yard or whatever so contact them and uh, they will help you out the facility is fully fenced in it's gated you get your own private gate code they have 24-hour video surveillance on more than 40 cameras with more cameras going up over the next month and they also offer climate control, which is heated, cooled, and has dehumidification. So go to ustoral.net. That is the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L dot net and contact them today. Well, like I said, uh, the irony of me being up this doggone early in the morning uh, <laughs> and then today's guest, it's not lost on me. Ernest Solar is a writer, storyteller, and explorer with a passion for cryptid creatures and uh, paranormal. Now, when I say cryptid, maybe you don't know what that is. Or if I say cryptozoology, you might not know who that is, what that is either. But that is the research, uh, the science of legendary creatures. Specifically, in this case, Bigfoot. Uh, Ernest has gone out personally uh, searching for Bigfoot. And this is just such a cool subject. I remember I've been into Bigfoot probably all my life, too. And I remember in the 70s when there was a lot of uh, hubbub over Bigfoot. And, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, he's he's all over the the, uh, the West Coast. It, uh, you know, I, I missed out on the uh, the big heyday in the 60s with the, you know, you get the film that's now parodied on all, all over the time. But uh, throughout the 70s, I remember that being on the news a lot. Uh, people looking for Bigfoot. Hey, Bigfoot stole my dog. Bigfoot stole my baby. I've got Bigfoot's baby. Uh, you know, <laughs> different things like that. I just remember this being such a huge thing growing up. And uh, I had a love for Bigfoot myself. I came across a book in the school library called The Boy Who Saw Bigfoot. And, you know, I, it's, it, it's one of those... Bigfoot is one of those things that... It reaches in and it can tickle your the fantastic side of you and make you 
it makes you wonder, you know, could it be possible? And I know I'm, I'm getting off on my own little tangent here. And it's just such a cool thing. You know, Ernest is, uh, he's got his story today, Spirit of Sasquatch, about a boy uh, going through experiences with a Sasquatch. You're going to want to hear the whole interview. You want to listen to not only uh, about Ernest and his other books, and then we talk about this book as well, but you also get to hear Ernest tell some stories about true life events uh, while he was Bigfoot hunting, and you know, including one amazing tale that uh, that took place it it's really really cool you don't want to miss out on it uh during the reading i do want to give you a forewarning uh now ernest is a uh, he's a professor at a university and uh, we were doing our interview while he was at school on a break and uh, the reading reading went fantastic ernest did such a great job uh but apparently uh there was a door open or something and during the his reading i didn't catch it but uh going back through and editing i realized that somebody had been walking by and talking in the background and ernest had earphones on so he didn't hear it either uh, if you hear that don't worry about that but you know it also it, it shows how dedicated uh ernest was with his reading because like i say he does a fantastic job he really draws you in and uh, uh tells a great tale and like i said you don't want to miss this so let's get us on over to our interview with mr ernest solar fans it is another episode of the sample chapter podcast welcome uh this week i have a fantastic storyteller for you writer and explorer ernest solar now i should have asked you beforehand about that last name did i say that correct yes you did okay fantastic great you know and i just heard you on the emmett blackwell show not too long ago so i should have known i think maybe i did know that in the back of my mind but <laughs> so emmett welcome to the show <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Well, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Okay, um, I have been a writer for all my life since I was a since I was a young boy. Um, I've been a writer telling stories. Um, I've always been fascinated with uh, cryptid animals and paranormal activity and UFOs, and um, so that kind of bleeds into into my stories that I tell. Um, my day job, I'm a professor at Mount St. Mary's University. I teach um, uh, undergraduate and graduate students special education and how to work with students with special needs in, uh, in the classroom. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> but that's good, though. That's good. I mean, it, uh, it gives you time to... When you have a simple job, kind of like what I've got, it allows the mind to just roam free, and uh, then we can put that down on the paper later on. Yeah, that's true. I, I, uh, my commute to work is about 45 minutes, so that gives me a lot of time to sit and daydream while I'm driving up to up to campus. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have like a Bluetooth or anything set up to record or uh, write down notes for yourself? or? Uh, yeah, you would think I would, but no. Um, I, I, you know, it's funny that you say that. I've, I've always, um, I've always played the scenarios of my stories and the plot lines and the characters in my head. And and when I when I come across something that I really like or a scene that that I want to write about, um, I literally 
play it over in my head over and over and over again until I get to sit down and actually type it out or write it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've always I've always kind of been like that. It's never really crossed my mind to record it out out loud. Um, I, I think it might stem from my philosophy of not telling someone a story that I want to write. Um, because I, uh, when I teach, I tell stories when I teach. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I'm afraid that if I have a story in my head that I want to write and make a short story or a novel or a book. And if I tell you out loud that I won't have the motivation to actually write the story down. So when I have this scene in my head, I'm afraid if I record it, then I lose the essence of it. Does that make sense? It, it does, actually. I've, I, I think I understand exactly what you're saying, because I've had times where an idea is stuck in my head for a long time, and then I finally say, you know, I should write this down before I forget it. Right. And so then I do, and then I put the note aside, and then I do forget it. And then I forget <laughs> where I put the damn note. <laughs> <laughs> So somewhere here, I've got stacks and stacks of notes and ideas and other things, but I'll be damned sure. if I can remember them later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, so the so the uh, writing project that I'm working on right now, um, I, I tend to write in a very linear fashion. Um, I, I, I tend to write, you know, from beginning to end. Um, but for whatever reason, this particular story, it's been coming to me in like chunks and pieces. And so, so I, I do have a document where it's like beginning to end, but then I have another document that has all these chunks and pieces and I'm like, okay, this is going to fit in somewhere. I know it's going to fit in somewhere. I'm not sure where, but I'll, I'll get it in there somehow. So. <laughs> well, looking at, uh, at your, your library, you've got uh, three books under your belt so far, uh, two moon rising, the well house. And of course, uh, today's subject spirit of Sasquatch. Tell us about, um, I believe you said Two Moon Rising, that was your first book? Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, Two Moons Rising is about a young man with narcolepsy that um, falls asleep at random points of his life during the day in the classroom, at work, wherever it may be. And when he sleeps, he dreams. And during his dreams, he realizes that we're being invaded by aliens that are on a second moon that orbit Earth that we're unaware of because the aliens have suppressed it from our subconscious mind. And um, then he figures out um, that he needs to save the world from these aliens through his dreams. And uh, it's, it's a... There's many threads in the story. And... Um, kind of, so I, I've done a lot of, um, research and spiritual thought. And, uh, w- one of the things I came across is that we all have what's called a soul thread. So there's a, a thread that's attached to us and that's our soul thread. And it's connected to God, the universe, higher power, whatever your definition is. And so I kind of grasped onto that concept. And so the story has many threads. And so it's one of those books that you kind of have to pay attention when you read it to piece it all together. Um, which I know some people don't like that, but, 
being a first time writer, author, and wanting to make an impression on the world, um, I, I, I went that route. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's always nice to have a story that you're peeling back the layers of it, and then you go back and, like, after you've read it, then you're like, well, wait a minute. And you go back, you reread it again, you're catching new things and realizing so many other things. It's, it's almost like, almost like inception in a way where you're thinking like, man, there's just so many, oh yeah. And then that, oh, and then this over here. And I, and that, that sounds really cool though. Um, considering how cool inception is, that is a huge compliment. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, and it just came to me because I was just, I just caught the ending of it the other day and I was like, oh, I haven't watched this in so long. I got to check it out. So this yeah. is, it, it's, uh, Certainly something spiritual that uh, I would have seen that the other day, and then we would talk today, and then that right. would come up. So something there in the air. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I'm going with it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, now what? Uh, see, and then how about uh, the Well House? What What is this about? Uh, the Well House is, uh, as my wife would say, a effed up ghost story. <laughs> And um, it is actually inspired by true events. Um, I didn't put that on the cover just to sell books. <laughs> um, you know, I think, and I think a lot of writers can can identify with this, but um, like we put ourselves into our stories, right? Like, yeah. I mean, not maybe not literally, but there's always an element of us that's in the story. Mm-hmm. And, and I and I was talking to another writer about this. Um, I think it adds to the authenticity of the story, to the realness of, of, of the story that's being told. But so the Wellhouse, um, when I first got into Bigfoot research, um, I, I thought I was going to be all high tech and professional. And so I, I bought a recorder and I went out to this part of the woods that no one ever goes to. It's, you know, there's no trails. There's very little game trails. Um, it's near an abandoned house that was built back in the 1800s. There's a house and a farmhouse and it's back in this like part of the woods. And, and I put the recorder out one night cause I, I was going to capture wood knocks, howls, something of that nature. Right. Mm-hmm. So I set the recorder out. I went back the next morning got the recorder. I'm listening to it the next day. And, um, at two o'clock in the morning, I hear what sounds like a little girl say, ta-da. I was like, like, well, well, hold on a second, right? So um, because of my own personal experiences and my own personal beliefs, um, I know that I'm quick to be like, oh, that's a ghost or that's Bigfoot or, right? So, like, I I have to be careful, right? I, I have to be careful with my experiences and I have to question them. And, um, so my wife, I feel is, uh, I don't want to say she's skeptical, but she's not as quick to jump on the bandwagon. Mm. So I was like, Christine, you gotta listen to this. I was like, I was like, tell me what you hear. She was like, that's a little girl saying ta-da. I was like, ah, right. I was like, hold on a second. Uh, And so then we got our oldest daughter to listen to it. She was like, that's a little girl saying ta-da. And I was like, oh, this is, this is too good. Right. And, um, so, and that was at like two in the morning. So what are the chances of some little girl at two in the morning running around the woods? saying ta-da, slim to none, right? So we like to speculate that it was a ghost. And it was maybe a ghost that used to live in that farmhouse. So then a a week passed by, 
and my neighbor told me um, the pond in our neighborhood, um, uh, last time they cleaned it, they found a sledgehammer and they found a bicycle. I was like, oh, I was like, I'm sure if you kept draining it, you probably would have found a dead body too. And then he laughed and he said, well, it's funny you should say that. He was like, uh, at the turn of the century, a farmhand got killed by that pond. And I was like, huh. So, um, so then that all kind of sat with me for a few weeks. And then this idea of the story came about where I took the recording of the little girl saying ta-da. And um, I took a couple who had captured the recording, hence my wife and I. And um, so we capture this recording. We hear this little girl's voice. We think it's strange and it's odd. And then the next chapter is the little girl's life. And then the chapter after that is my wife and I having another weird paranormal experience. And so then I go, I jump back and forth between the happenings of our paranormal life and the happenings of this little girl. And then at the end, it all, all comes together. So it, it, so it's kind of like a ghost story because there's that ghost story element to it, but it's also this uh, trans time dimensional shift back and forth between the two stories, but it, it all, it all comes together mm-hmm. at the end. Like it's all joined together at the end. It's not disjointed. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It it was, I mean, in all reality, it was a fun story to write. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) Uh, you know, it seems like the ones that we, the ones that popped up on us that we didn't really plan out to begin with always seem to be so much fun. I, I, I love when you get those little nuggets of something that comes up and all of a sudden you just run with it. And it, it sounds like you have, an amazing story on your hands with, uh, Ooh, with that. I mean, it's that process is so fun now. And I think that's what I enjoyed about it the most is, well, that's what I enjoy about writing in general is it's, um, to me, it's fun. You know, it's like you grab this character or you grab the story idea and it, it, like, what are you like? What happens next? Like, yeah. you know, in, in this world that I'm creating, like what is happening next? And, you know, there's times where, uh, there was one scene in Spirit of Sasquatch that I wrote, and I literally started crying. And I was like, "Dear Lord, what the hell's wrong with me?" <laughs> I was like, "Why am I crying?" You know. But I was like, I was, I was so, I was so into the character and how the character was feeling. And you know, it, to me, it was, it was so real. And and that you know, like you, it could be just that one little nugget that just blossoms into this, you know, fun sometimes crazy story and you just have to go with it you just oh, have to yeah. run absolutely so i'm guessing that you do research but you don't really uh plot the story very much you you like to enjoy the the experience of what's going to happen next oh, my secret's out <laughs> uh, uh yeah that would have to be that would probably have to be accurate i mean i uh, for the well house, I didn't know where it was going. I'll be honest. I didn't, I didn't know where that story was going. I just, I just wrote until I felt the story ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Spirit of Sasquatch, um, I, I had an outline in my mind of where I wanted it to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, you know, thoughts, ideas, concepts. I had, I had a general plot of where I wanted it to go. It didn't quite end up where I thought it would, but I'm, I'm still happy with the end result. 
Um, but it, I mean, it's the story's like a child, right? Like yeah. it's just, it's going to do what it wants to do. And, and, you know, you're just trying to, uh, you're trying to guide it in the best direction so that it becomes a viable adult. <laughs> that's, that's the only way I can really explain it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, we take our story, we nurture them, we, we help them grow. Uh, and it just, it doesn't always turn out the way we want, but we're still happy. We're still yeah. proud of it. So yeah, yeah. that's yeah. just fantastic. Well, I, I think we segued into it uh, pretty well. We've talked about, touched on it here and there. Tell us about Spirit of Sasquatch. Spirit of Sasquatch is about a young boy, about 10, 11 years old, that gets um, rescued by a, a Sasquatch creature um, when he's out in the woods. And he lives with him for a number of years. And during that time, his brother and his father is looking for him, and the government is looking for him. And then um, at the... Um, at the end, uh, all these all these groups come together um, in a climactic conclusion. Um, I, I I wrote it with the idea of not isolating any one set one Bigfoot group, right? So um, in the world of Bigfoot research, in the world of Bigfoot researchers, there's more or less two main groups. There, there's a group that believes Bigfoot is a purely flesh and blood creature that is a undiscovered primate ape animal in North America. Um, there's another group that believes that there's a spiritual element to it. And, and this, this stems from the Native Americans. Um, much of the, the lore and the legends of Native Americans, um, they believe that Bigfoot or Sasquatch is a spirit creature that can take physical form. So, so there's these, you know, two divergent groups. Um, there is a smaller group that believes that Bigfoot comes from UFOs. Um, but, um, so when I, so when I wrote this, I didn't, I didn't want to isolate one group or the other. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very fine line to walk down the middle. And, and I wanted to write it. This might be the teacher in me coming out, but I, I wanted to write it in a way where if you knew nothing about Bigfoot research, mm-hmm. not necessarily the legend of Bigfoot, but Bigfoot research, you could read it and then understand and kind of learn the basics of Bigfoot research. If you're an experienced researcher where you've been out in the field, boots to the ground, you know, um, you've done the research, you've, you've heard the stories, you've heard the podcasts, um, then you could read the book and be like, oh, I've heard something similar or I've experienced that or, you know, yes, that happened to me. Uh, you know, so again, it was to, it was to try to not, not, um, scare one group away or, or another. Um, so I, from what I've heard from feedback, supposedly I did a good job with that. Um, <laughs> but it, again, it was just, it, even though those elements were in the forefront of my mind, it, it was still a fun story to write. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's something right up my alley. I, I love stories like from uh, Robert McCammon where it's, Something fantastic happening in the real world. So I'm, I'm looking forward to picking up a copy of this myself. Now, how did you, you went into some uh, cryptozoology, you did some, some research and went out into the field doing a little bit of a 
looking for Bigfoot yourself, it sounds like. Uh, yes. Um, I mean, I've always been fascinated w- with the paranormal and cryptid animals. Uh, Bigfoot's always been a huge fascination for me, but I've, I've been actually out in the field, boots on the ground, um, in Mexico, Colorado, Washington, Montana, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Maryland, North Carolina. Um, and any opportunity and chance I get, if someone's like, hey, you want to go on a Bigfoot expedition? If I have the money, I'm there. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm definitely all, all for it. Um, you know, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's about... Um, it's about nature. It's about being in the woods. Um, so if I have an experience, great. If I don't have an experience, hey, I'm still out in the woods. You know, so I, I, I have nothing to complain about. I, um, I mean, when I when I was writing Spirit of Sasquatch, a, a lot of my research, um, and I know that this might sound silly to some people, but a, a lot of my research was pretending to be a Sasquatch creature, mm. right? So you know, it was this. I got to this point of, so I have this young boy who's with this tribe of Sasquatch creatures. How are they going to interact? How are they going to talk? You know, like how is this going to happen? And um, so I would spend lots of times in the woods, just wandering literally in the woods. Um, I've never, I've never really gotten lost in the woods. So it never really crossed my mind that I was going to get, lost right but let me put this into perspective i wasn't in yellowstone i wasn't in yosemite where i was just wandering right like yes if i'm going to wander there good chance i'm probably going to get lost right um but you know on the east coast i'm eventually going to run into a house or a road or you know somebody right um so i was never really afraid of getting lost so it was just this this idea of like wandering the game trails um you know kind of stopping and looking into trees and and seeing if I see a tree structure or a tree break or a stack of rocks or a footprint, you know, and then, okay, if I saw one, then what does that mean? Where do I go from there? And so it was, you know, it was just kind of like getting into the mindset of those creatures. And, um, that was probably what I enjoyed the most about my research. It just, you know, gave me an excuse to go wander through the woods. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it sounds really cool. I know as, uh, I grew up in the outdoors, uh, lots of deer hunting, uh, other things. And I remember I, I was a teenager. The first time I got to go into the woods on my own, four o'clock in the morning before the sun's coming up, and I'm walking out to my deer stand, and every little shadow mm. was spooky. Now, I could be in the woods with my friends, and it's sure. a completely different feeling. But that very first time I'm walking out, and every little sound you hear is oh my gosh, something's coming my way and it's a squirrel. Yeah. You know? <laughs> or uh, yeah, every shadow is, is another creature looking at you as you're walking out there. So I can just imagine putting myself back into that. Well, even as an adult going out in the woods uh, these days, I could still feel that little bit of child in me going, man, it's so easy to get, it would be really easy to get wrapped up in this and let my imagination run. Oh, it, I, I can't tell you how many times I scared myself out of the woods. You know, I mean, it, it's super easy to, to you know, scare yourself. It's And, and I'll, I'll tell you a quick funny story. Um, so um, I'm out. It was early in the morning. It was, it was probably 5, 
five in the morning. I was getting a recorder that I put out. So, and, and, uh, I was on this ridge line on this, on this mountaintop in Maryland. And, um, and, and, and I'm literally hopping from rock to rock on this ridge line because, mm. you know, um, in Maryland, Virginia, a, a lot of, you know, there's lots of rocks. And so I'm, I'm literally hopping from rock to rock because I'm trying not to make any sound. And, and, um, and then all of a sudden I hear footsteps on the other side of the ridge. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, I was like, hold on a second, right? And, um, so uh, I stop and I squat down and I'm listening and, and I hear distinct two feet moving and walking around. And I was like, holy crap, right? And, um, I, and I knew it couldn't be a person, right? I was like, there's no one around. No one knows I'm here. No one knows I put the recorder here, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay. And, and I was scared, right? Like a part of me was like scared. And finally I was like, dude, man up. Like, this is what you want. Like, this is what you want to see, right? Like peek over the edge. And so a couple minutes passes and I finally get my courage up and I, and I jump from rock to rock and I get closer to the edge and, and, and I hear these, these feet moving and I peek over the edge and it was a turkey. you know i had got i mean and i'm talking like i'm talking 20 minutes past 20 30 minutes passed by for me to like build up my courage to like peek over the edge and you know it it never occurred to me that it would be a turkey (laughs) i i mean i sat there and laughed and i was just like oh you fool (laughs) oh my gosh yeah Yeah. I i have no idea how many times i've been sitting there looking into the woods, daydreaming, and then you hear the crunch, 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 and I'm convinced, oh, there's a giant buck coming up behind me, and I turn around real slow, and yeah, it's just that doggone little bitty squirrel hopping around <laughs> through the leaves. It's amazing the noise they can make. Golly! But then, yeah. but then the big buck does come along, and you never hear a thing. Right. And it's just, man, so it's totally believable that. Yeah, yeah, Bigfoot might just walk right by and wave at you and disappear before you even realize he was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm sure that's happened half a dozen times. <laughs> <laughs> well, what uh, what are you working on now? Uh, so I'm um, I'm working on a quasi sequel to Spirit of Sasquatch, if that makes sense. Uh, so. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of uh, dogmen. Have you heard of the term dogmen? Okay, yeah. They're 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 uh, uh, for lack of a better term, a subspecies of Bigfoot or a species of Bigfoot type creature, where uh, they tend to have more of a snout, um, pointy ears. I, I guess um, in, in a lot of cases, you could probably relate it to a werewolf, right? So. Um, so, uh, there's been more and more sightings of those typically in Michigan, Ohio area. And, um, so I, I kind of, uh, I'm kind of going down this road of exploring the dogmen encounters along with skinwalkers. Mm. Um, there, there's this one little piece of nugget that, um, dogmen could be skinwalkers, and skinwalkers are um, uh, Native American, typically Navajo, according to legend. I'm not, I'm not saying that they exist now, but according to legend, they were Navajo shaman that could shapeshift into animals of the skins that they wore. Mm. 
and so I'm kind of exploring this idea of the dogmen and the skinwalkers, and, and I took um, I actually took two of the minor characters from Spirit of Sasquatch and kind of exploring their lives and who they are and you know why they were involved. Um, you know, it was just, it, it was. It was two characters that I liked, but didn't really explore in Spirit of Sasquatch. Um, I mean, I could have, but um, I'm, I'm really enjoying exploring them now. So. Yeah, so same universe, essentially. So. Yeah, it's, okay. it's the same universe. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a sequel. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of on this whole fence with, you know, writers have to write a trilogy or have to write five or six books in a series. Like, I'm... I mean, sure, that, I get. I don't know. Um, if I was George Lucas, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I'm, I'm not George Lucas. And uh, I, I just I just really want to explore these two characters. And and, and I've always been fascinated with skinwalkers. I've, I'm fascinated with the dogmen. And um, so it gives me a good excuse to research it, learn more about it, and tell a story. So, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm going with it. That sounds great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a standalone story, even if it is something related to another story, same universe, like what we're saying. I right. think I think it sounds really cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, and if if you think about it, I mean, that's really what uh, Robert Heinlein did. Yeah, uh, all all of his stories were in the same universe, and um, but not necessarily connected. That's what that's what Ben Bova does. Uh, that's what St- Stephen did. King. Stephen King, you know, so mm-hmm. it, I don't know. It it, it kind of I think it, as a writer, it doesn't limit you, right? It, you know, and and then and so then um, the storytelling for this can be different than it was in Spirit of Sasquatch, mm-hmm. you know. So you know, like there was elements in Spirit of Sasquatch where I would tell a story and have dialogue, but then there was elements where it was a journal entry to like move the story forward. Right. So I don't, and if I was doing a, a real sequel, I would stick to that same format. But uh, it, since this is an, uh, a sequel, I don't, I don't have to do that format. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds, it sounds amazing. Uh, I, I can't wait to check that out when it comes out. It maybe uh, next year. Is that what you're looking at? I am. Um, I've I've promised my dean that I will uh, finish my academic publications for tenure before I release another book. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I have I have one more academic paper to submit, and that it should be submitted in January. So I'm hoping that the that this next book will come out uh, at the end of 2019. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Where can uh, where can people find you online or follow you? Um, they can find me on Facebook. Uh, I have a Spirit of Sasquatch page on Facebook. Uh, I have a Two Moons Rising. I'm not doing much with that on Facebook right now, but uh, mostly Spirit of Sasquatch Facebook page. And uh, my books are on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, and then I'm also on Instagram and Twitter with uh, just my first and last name. Ernest has been. A lot of fun talking with you. Uh, I had a blast talking with you beforehand. Uh, I mean, it definitely seems like you're the kind of guy I could just sit here and talk for hours about <laughs> all kinds of, of this stuff and just really go down the rabbit hole. So, <laughs> Whenever you want to go down that rabbit hole, you let me know because I'm all for it. <laughs> Fantastic. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to hand the floor over to our guest today, Ernest Solar and Spirit of Sasquatch. Thank you. So today, the part that I'm going to share with you uh, happens shortly after the main character, Brock, um, has been rescued by the Sasquatch creature, and he realizes that it actually did happen. Sukum. The thought popped into Brock's head, which caused him to wake from his restless sleep. He rolled over on the bed of dead pine needles to rest on his right side. He kept his eyes closed, not wanting to wake up yet, hoping that his father did not notice him move. He wanted a few more minutes to think about his dream. He tried to contain the smile that wanted to stretch across his lips, but he was pretty sure he was giving himself away as he lay there pretending to sleep. He knew he gave himself away when a giggle slipped out because he heard his father moving behind him. He squeezed his lips shut and waited for his father to shake him awake, but the shake never came. So he figured he had a few more minutes to himself. He giggled again when he remembered how funny it was that Sukum threw the boulder into the river when he was trying to skip it. Sukum, he thought. Brock's eyes popped open at the thought of the name Sukum. He didn't remember the creature telling him his name was Sukum. But somehow Brock knew. Actually, the more he thought about it, he didn't remember the creature even telling him he was a he. Then again, it was pretty obvious. The creature had the same boy parts he had, so it must be a boy. But how did he know his name was Sukum? Maybe at some point in his dream, the creature had told him. Maybe he couldn't remember. In either event, the more he thought about it, the more he agreed that the creature did look like a Sukum. Personally, he didn't think he looked like a Brock. But he knew he didn't have a choice in the matter. His father had named him. He asked his father once why he picked the name Brock. His old man laughed and said, because it was the name of the town where you were born, which confused Brock, because the one time he looked up the town of Brock, there was no hospital located there. But maybe he was born in a different state. He was too afraid to ask his father if that was the case. One time he asked his father what his mother wanted to name him. His father spanked him for that one. That night, while he was crying in bed, his older brother lay next to him and confronted him and advised him to never ask about their mother again. Brock never asked again. The more he thought about it, he didn't even know his mother's name. She felt like a mystery to him. Brock wiped the water that was forming in his eyes and focused on the wall in front of him. It was wood. No, bark. He reached out and touched the rough surface of the bark and a piece fell away from his hand. He quickly retracted his hand to his chest. Nothing happened. He leaned his head forward just a little bit to peer out the hole and saw the undergrowth of a forest floor and small saplings growing off in the distance. Confused, he rolled onto his back on the dry pine needles and found himself looking at the trunk of a tree that had must have fallen at some point in its life. He looked to his left and saw another wall of bark. He grasped the ground and clutched the pine needles and brought them to his face to get a better look. He dropped the pine needles and sat up as much as he could under the fallen tree. Down by his feet, on his left, he saw an opening. He wiggled around under the trunk so he could crawl out of the shelter head first. He poked his head out the entrance of the crude structure and blinked his eyes several times to adjust to the bright sun. He then stood and looked back at the entrance. He was right. He was laying under a fallen tree, but he wasn't sure how he had gotten there. What had happened to his father's tent? What had happened to the camp? Brock looked around and noticed he was standing in a small clearing surrounded by a thick wall of brambles as tall as he was. 
he walked over to the brambles to see if there was a way he could crawl through them or push them out of the way. But the thorns were at least an inch thick, and he couldn't even see where the brambles ended. Among the brambles, Brock spied a patch of blackberries. His stomach rumbled and growled at the sight of food. He gently reached out and picked a handful of berries. As he ate the berries, he scratched his head in confusion and walked back to the crude tree shelter. Finishing the small clump of blackberries, he climbed on top of the fallen tree trunk and looked up towards the couple of trees that were still standing inside the bramble patch. They were tall and thick. He guessed they were at least 100 years old. There were no branches for him to climb for at least 50 feet. He jumped down off the tree trunk and landed on his feet. As he did, the creature Sukum landed in front of him in a crouch, as silent as a bird. At a crouch, Sukum was as tall as Brock. He sat there for a moment with, with the fingertips of his right hand barely touching the dirt. Brock did not move. He had become too afraid to move. Brock started to slowly realize that Sukum was not a dream. Sukum had taken him when they heard his father calling for him. He was alone. Sukum leaned forward slightly and sniffed in Brock's direction. Brock watched as the nostrils on the creature's flat nose twitched with each sniff. Sukum moved slightly closer to Brock as it sniffed him from head to toe. He then tilted his head to the side and looked past Brock to the bedding structure. Brock followed the creature's eyes and saw what it was looking at, the fallen tree with the bed of pine needles. A little bit of the fear he was feeling dissipated, and he asked, Did you make that? At the sound of Brock's voice, Sukum snapped his head back to face Brock again. That was when Brock noticed the streak of gray mixed throughout its jet black hair, crossing from the left side of its forehead at an angle down across its right eye, ending at its cheekbone. Sukum's eyes widened, and Brock noticed how yellow his eyes were as he watched him. Sukum's lips spread slightly, almost in a smile, and Brock could see its grayish-white teeth. Brock leaned forward slightly to whisper, Are you Sukum? The creature stood to its full height and towered over Brock. Brock had to take a step back and tilt his head completely back in order to see Sukum's face. Sukum stared down at him. Brock turned and scrambled up the fallen tree and stood facing Sukum. This allowed him to look Sukum in the eye without breaking his neck. Sukum stepped forward and stood less than a foot from Brock. Brock smiled and laughed out loud. You are real, he said, laughing. I can't believe you are real. I thought you were just a dream. Sukum tilted its head to the right and then back to center. Then it huffed. Brock fell silent. Sukum leaned a little closer again and huffed louder. Huff! The sound came from its throat. Brock could feel the force of exhaled air blast against his face as Sukum's breath escaped its nostrils. Brock imitated the huff back to Sukum as best as he could. Huff! Sukum's whole upper body moved back slightly from the waist and then leaned in towards Brock. The creature let out a roar so powerful that the vibrations knocked Brock off the fallen tree onto his back. After Brock hit the ground, it took him a few seconds to figure out what had just happened. When he did, he was instantly afraid. He shook his head and tried to pull himself away from the fallen tree as best he could, lying on his back. He could see Sukum leaning over the fallen tree, looking at him. Brock was about to turn onto his hands and knees to crawl through the thick brambles when they both heard a soft whoop. Brock froze. Sukum perked up and looked around. It let out an equally soft whoop. It then reached over the fallen tree, extending its hand toward Brock. Brock looked at the long, muscular arm covered in black hair, could not comprehend why its hairless hand and fingers were motioning for him to come.
Sukum grunted one more time and jammed its hand towards Brock. Brock sat there frozen, unable to comprehend what was happening. Sukum glanced up towards the forest and pulled its arm back. It stepped away from the fallen tree and disappeared from view. Then Brock heard a thumping sound behind him. With each thump, the ground under him shook his body as if he was being shaken in an earthquake. He tried to scramble to his feet to see what was making the noise. The vibration of the ground prevented him from being able to stand on his feet. He pushed himself against the bark that was leaning against the fallen tree and hoped whatever was making the thumping sound would pass without noticing him. He was not so lucky. In horror, Brock watched a creature similar to Sukum walk through the brambles directly towards him. The creature was twice as big as Sukum in size and height. Brock watched in shock as the brambles slid away from the creature's white hair. He couldn't understand how the brambles were not snagging or getting tangled in the creature's long hair. When he cleared the brambles, the creature stopped in front of Brock. It reached down and clamped its massive hand over Brock's small head. Palming the boy's head, it lifted him off the ground. Brock's feet dangled in the air. He immediately threw both hands up and clawed at the creature's long, white, matted hair to try and get a grip to hoist himself up to release the pressure on his skull. His hands kept slipping off the creature's hair, as if its hair was coated in some sort of oil that prevented him from grabbing it. He didn't remember Sukum's hair feeling that way. The pain from the grip from his head was beyond bearable. Brock had never felt so much pain for in his life. Tears flooded his eyes and spilled down his face uncontrollably. The creature pulled Brock up to its eye level. Brock blinked through his tears and saw the pure hatred in the creature's dark red eyes. Brock peed his pants in fear. For a moment, the creature watched Brock's urine drip down his leg in a sort of satisfaction. Behind him, Brock thought he heard Sukum growl. The creature that was holding him focused its attention past Brock to Sukum. Then it tossed Brock to the side into the brambled thorns. The shock of the pain around his scalp being released blocked out the pain of the hundreds of brambles that stabbed into his flesh. He rolled out of the brambles onto his stomach and pushed to his knees. As he did, Sukum leapt over the fallen tree to stand in front of the much larger white creature. The larger creature immediately backhanded Sukum across the face. As Sukum's face was turned away from the larger creature, it quickly made eye contact with Brock. Sukum turned back to face the larger creature and screamed louder than anything Brock had ever heard before in his life. The sound was so deafening, he clamped his hands over his ears to try and block the noise. The large creature turned towards Brock and then leapt towards him to grab him again. Brock flinched in fear. Sukum stepped forward and shoved the larger creature with both hands. The larger creature lost its balance and fell to the ground. It rolled and came up in a crouch facing Sukum. It sprang at Sukum and knocked him in the chest. They both crashed through the fallen tree. Brock kept his hands over his ears and leaned forward, burying his face in his legs. The sound of the two creatures fighting was more than Brock could bear. He cried uncontrollably and rocked back and forth on his knees. The sounds reminded him of all those times his father and brother had fought because his brother was protecting him. He loved his brother. He wished his brother was with him right now. He needed his brother's strength. He wished he was as strong as his brother. Brock was not sure how much time had passed since the noise of the fighting stopped. He wondered if he had cried himself to sleep while the two creatures were fighting. He slowly pulled his hands away from his ears and confirmed that he did not hear any more growls or screams. He opened his eyes and saw Sukum crouching in front of him. His left eye was swollen shut and blood was caked in its black hair on its right shoulder. But that did not stop Brock from propelling himself into Sukum's arms. 
He couldn't wrap his small arms around Sukum, but he tried. He burst into tears again, this time from happiness, and tried to press himself into Sukum. Sukum wrapped his left arm around Brock for a moment and let out a long, slow, deep exhale. Brock smiled and felt safe. Sukum stood, and Brock let go of his grasp. This time, when Sukum offered his hand, Brock took it. Sukum picked him up and swung Brock onto his back. Brock squeezed his knees into Sukum's side and draped his arms over the massive creature's shoulders and grasped his long hair to hold on. Sukum flinched a little, but moved off into the bramble. As Sukum moved into the brambles, Brock felt the hair on the creature become oily and slick. He watched as the thorns slipped off of Sukum and his own legs. Sukum whooped once, and they both heard a responding whoop not far off in the distance. That was storyteller and explorer extraordinaire Ernest Solar reading a sample chapter from his Spirit of Sasquatch. It's an awesome book. It looks really, really cool. I can't wait to dive in. Uh, I've got a copy on the way. This is this is really cool. I hope you like that. <laughs> I hope you're not too upset with me for that little tease about the story of uh, one time when he was out Bigfoot hunting, but <laughs> I thought it was really, really funny. Couldn't resist. I, I wanted to make sure that you listened to the episode. Hey, make sure to follow Ernest on his uh, Facebook, his Amazon, uh, his Twitter page. Don't forget to click the links uh, for all of that. And don't forget to subscribe. That way next week you don't miss out when I'm back with another author, another story, and another sample chapter. Thank you everybody and have a good week.